0: Combo Nation! What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 352 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into Combo's Court. Today's show, Len Elmore, former NBA player, former ABA player, and former college basketball analyst for ESPN and Fox Sports, joins in to talk 2021 final four. Len looks back on the legendary Duke versus Kentucky game he called in the 1992 NCAA tournament where Christian Leitner hit the game-winning shot and Len shares some thoughts on his own playing career. A fantastic conversation with Len. Lots of fun. Hope you enjoy it. You can find Len on Twitter at Len Elmore. That's L-E-N-E-L-M-O-L. R E. You know you can find me on Instagram at one two combo. That's O N E T W O C O M B O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. More, former nba player sportscaster lawyer you do it all and um happy belated birthday man how you been
1: i'm good i'm good i'm surviving my birthday but other than that everything's cool
0: awesome uh another march 28th 1992 can you take me back to that day christian leitner shot everybody in hindsight looks at kentucky's defense what were your thoughts on kentucky's defense in the moment
1: well, in the moment, obviously, you know, you're told in the huddle that uh, you don't want to foul. And, and I think they probably took that uh, too much to heart uh, because you could see John Pelfrey uh, when the ball was caught by Leitner backing up instead of going to play uh, to play the man. And, and when the ball's in the air, you know, I expect guys to go after the ball because everybody has an entitlement to the ball when it's in the air. Uh, but, you know, nobody really did. Leitner caught that cleanly. And, and finally, you know, I wonder why Rick Pitino didn't put anybody on Grant Hill, because Grant Hill had a get that pass uh, the pinpoint accuracy. Uh, and, and the rest is history. You know, Leighton was uh, perfect from from the field up until that point, and, you know, he kind of finished the job, so to speak. So uh, that's, I, I think, the suddenness of the end and the fact that, you know, it wasn't a tie game. Uh, Duke was down one. Um that all of those factors, uh, you know, kind of added up to people's estimation that that might've been, you know, one of the greatest games ever played. I mean, throughout, it was uh pretty darn entertaining, you know, with guys like Leitner guys like Jamal Mashburn, you know, a crazy shot by Sean Woods uh, to put Kentucky ahead. You know, there's so many things that go through my mind, even uh, 30 years
0: before. Most of where would you say that moment ranks all time? Would it be number one?
1: Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I mean, not sure. The moment, yes. I mean, it, it could be. Uh, you know, there are a lot of buzzer beaters out there. Um, but, you know, based upon what was at stake, a trip to the Final Four, I think you'd have to put it up there among the tops.
0: Most definitely, Len. Um You played in the 70s, in the 80s. Um, what are the biggest misconceptions about that time period in the NBA?
1: Uh, I, I'm not sure that it was, uh, you know, that, that players – couldn't shoot; that they weren't athletic. Uh, you know, I, I kind of laugh, particularly when you know you recognize the physical element of the game as uh, as kind of diminished now. And I think people wanted that simply because they thought it had an adverse impact on offense. Uh, and then you look at uh, in college, particularly, and even in the pros, you have pro teams that have struggled to, to score a hundred points you know, despite all of the, um, you know, all the rules that militate against physical play. And then you go to college and you take a look at the college game. And, you know, we've got a team that uh, was in the Elite Eight that could barely score 50 points. Uh, Think about it. So, you know, the misconception was that because of the physical play, it cut down on offense and, you know, we have to do something about it. It Teams routinely, you know, scored uh, over 100 points in the pro game. Uh, back in the day, and even college games. When I played in college, we averaged 85 points a game without the three-point shot, and without the um, the shot clock. So, you know, go
0: figure. So you played in the ABA and the NBA. How close was the level of those two leagues?
1: Um, When you say how close, people often, and it's the NBA who's uh, in control of the narrative. People talk Mm. about the NBA being the the best league, but The irony is, you know, the merger occurred in in 1976. That was the first year. Um, When you look at the All-Star game in 77, look how many ABA players actually uh, out of the four teams that were incorporated and and some of the players who, um, you know, kind of migrated to the NBA after their teams folded. Look how many uh, ABA players were on the All-Star team. Um, I I think that the competition was – was close but um you know i would say that the aba basketball wide open um you know more athletic than the nba i think the aba had a uh, had an edge but again the nba controls the narrative and you know they kind of
0: suppress any of the talk that i'm just i'm just uh, mentioning right now so it was a more free-flowing style of play in the aba right
1: yeah i mean as i said because they had the three-point line and, and it wasn't Shot as often, you know, we didn't have analytics, uh, you know, telling folks that the three-point shot's better than two, uh, but, you know, we certainly use it with, with discretion, but it widened the floor, created driving lanes, and, you know, gave opportunities to, to create off the bounce.
0: Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about St. Peter's mid-majors, high majors, all of that, the trends. Uh, St. Peter's made it further than any 15th seed ever, but we do see five uh we do see four i guess i don't know if you would consider villanova a blue blood uh but the other three are right but do you feel Any, that
1: anytime uh, you win two championships in three years uh you know there, there's some royalty you you're okay. at least you're at least knighted <laughs>
0: it, exactly so we see those top four teams nothing that really looks too crazy there those are like traditional programs that we think would be there but we also t- see a team like st Peter's going this far um do you feel there's less of a gap than ever when it comes to high, major, high majors and mid-majors? Yeah. I mean, look,
1: basketball these days is basketball. There's so many young people playing the game. And, you know, not everybody can go to Kentucky or Duke, yeah. et cetera. And what happens is you uh, the teams like St. Peter's, they may, may not be getting the, the, the best player on, on a particular high school team or a particular prep school team. They might be getting number two or even number three. But from a development standpoint, you know, those guys probably demonstrate uh, an awful lot of potential and, and are developed into players. Also, they have a chip on their shoulders when they come out there. You know, they're playing for recognition and playing for respect. And and, and finally, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, oftentimes people who make a cottage industry out of projecting players, you know, this is the ESPN top 50 or this is, uh, you know, so some scouts, top 25 players in the country, you know, uh, they don't have a corner on on being able to project talent. And, and oftentimes, you know, they're wrong. They miss guys. And, um, you know, that closer than ever are, is the talent out there. Um, and as I said, you know, you get overlooked. Uh, if There are players who don't play on the um, AAU or, or travel teams that, that, you know, go to the, the biggest um you know, in in most famous, uh, you know, travel team uh, tournaments. And, and, you know, these guys are are found, you know, playing on the playground. They're found playing in their high school gyms. And and nevertheless, as I said, have talent and are developable. So, you know, you like to see
0: it. And, you know, they get a chance
1: and get an opportunity in
0: the tournament to show their wares. So I guess my question to you is, do you feel we'll see more teams like this going this far in the tournament?
1: Yeah, I believe so. I, I believe again. How many times in the last ten years has a uh, double-digit seed beaten a single-digit uh, seed? How many right. 15s have beaten a two? You know, you even had a sixteen beat a one. I mean, it, you know, people thought that that was that that was unthinkable uh, at at certain periods of time. But again, because of the competitiveness, because everybody's accustomed to playing on television, uh, because. You know, players, uh, as I said, close and talented are playing with a chip on their shoulders. Uh, and other guys, unfortunately, are playing, and uh, not necessarily for their schools and for team cohesion, but playing for
0: themselves. You know, you combine all those elements and you're going to see upsets. Do you think it would have been a crazier story than uh, Duke UNC? Uh, St. Peter's Duke? Or we got, we got to see Duke UNC again after what yeah, happened? I,
1: no, I, I think St. Peter's... Duke would have been an interesting story, but it it was far-fetched because having seen St. Peter's enough and recognizing the the lack of depth or or recognizing the overabundance of depth on a Carolina team and the fact that St. Peter's started slow and didn't gain their confidence, uh, unfortunately, as they did against Purdue, Purdue allowed them to stay in the game. And the longer you let a team like that stay in the game, the harder it is to shake them. You know, Purdue started to panic halfway through the first half, started throwing up shots, started rushing shots, and you know, it gave St. Peters an awful lot of confidence and, and reduced Purdue's confidence. So they played, you know, they played timidly. And Carolina didn't. Carolina stayed the course, um, recognized their depth, utilized it well, and you know, ultimately, um, you know, they they, they came out victorious.
0: So then the final four is set, Villanova, Kansas. Duke UNC you mentioned the word depth and it does seem that Villanova does lack some depth especially with the injury to uh, Justin Moore what do you feel like they have to do to beat this Kansas team
1: uh, they, they have to do what they've done you know throughout the season you know they have to match their discipline uh, particularly on offense you know they squeeze the clock uh, to get good shots every once in a while they'll put up a quick one but for the most part They'll move the ball. Five guys will touch it. Um, you know they have uh, some guards. Uh, you know more not not being there, unfortunately. But a guy like Gillespie and some of the yeah. other guards are very adept at posting people. You know, becoming the hub of the offense, uh, which you know is a different look than so many other uh, other teams will give uh, a team. And you know, I'm I'm one of those guys that thinks if Villanova can keep the game in the 50s. Uh, which will be hard to do because they've got a rebound as well. They keep it in the fifties, you know, low sixties, you know, they've got a chance. Uh, Kansas, obviously strong rebounding team. They want to get up and down the floor. They've got a lot of guys, a lot of athletic guys. If if they get out in space, um, and Villanova allows them to control tempo, the game's going to be over quick. Is Gillespie an NBA guy in your opinion? Um, You know what? I, I never say never. Yeah, um, You know, I, I like Colin Gillespie for all the things that he brings to the table, the toughness, the, um, you know, the discipline. Um, and then, you know, he's got a certain level of athleticism, but I, I'm just, you know, I'm not sure the way the NBA game is going. I'm not sure that there's necessarily a place for him, but I, I don't think he's worried about that. He's done a terrific job at Villanova and, you know, I'd like to tip my cap to him for the enter- entertaining moments that he's given me throughout his four years there five years
0: yeah it is an interesting thing to just like project how college players will play in the nba sometimes because either you're a star or you're a role guy there's not too much in between you got to fit one of those roles or you have to be good enough to be that star player
1: yeah i mean look but when you say star player star players in in college oftentimes come from role players yeah uh, who are you know, who find a system that's better suited for their skills on the pro level and vice versa. You got a lot of guys who are, um, who are stars in college but can't find that system, and they're relegated to, to becoming role players. But, you know, the way they're paying these guys, you know, it
0: doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, you want to get paid, so. Led, you should dust off your sneakers. Get up, back out there. They're, they're paying the big bucks now. Yeah, I mean,
1: if when I came out, you know, if they're paying the money they're paying now, who knows if if I would have even left after, you know, with one year left of my deal and going to law
0: school, who knows, but uh, it's a whole different story. I think you made a good decision, Glenn, I really do. All right, so UNC versus Duke. Duke has the top-end talent. They're playing well at the right time. They have the added motivation with Coach K's farewell tour. Do you feel like it's destiny for Duke?
1: I'm not a big believer in destiny. Um, you know, okay. I, I'm, I'm a guy that just says you, you earn, you know, you earn it. And, and I think that Duke is playing, you know, terrific basketball at the right time. And, you know, they have a guy in who's really a, a catalyst for them in Roach, Jeremy Roach. Yes. Who's gotten everything started. And then, you know, the guy who can clean it up, Paolo Banchero, who, who, you know, is probably the best player in the country right now. Um, Uh, You know, I I think they've got so many weapons uh, that it's going to be hard, although Carolina took care of them, you know, in Cameron. Uh, But there was a lot for both teams to learn. And and I think the matchup, they'll be cautious to begin the game. Um, You know, the matchup is really going to come down to, you know, who stays out of foul trouble. You know, Ken Baycott, who, you know, found a way to. To, to get Mark Williams in foul trouble in their last uh, meeting, I, I, if I recall correctly. You know, Baycott had a pretty darn good game. You know, that, that's going to be the story. Who wins the battle inside? Who wins the battle of the glass? And, you know, quite honestly, you know, they've got to find a way to, you know, keep Roach from igniting Duke because, uh, you know, you saw in the last couple of games, you know, when the, team, when the game was close, you had
0: somebody that kind of took over, and, and that becomes contagious. So Coach K's final game in Durham, Duke got blown out by UNC. From a mindset point of view, who do you think that gives the advantage to?
1: Well, mentally, it's got to give an advantage to to North Carolina uh, simply because they won that game. They won that game going away, and they should have no doubts in in their capability. You know, on the other hand, it has to have planted a doubt in the minds of, of the Duke players. Um, you know, no matter how much you try to. Uh, try to eliminate those doubts through practice, through video, uh, and through motivational talks that that always lingers in the back of their minds. And the question is, can you overcome that? Who's the best
0: coach out of the four, Len?
1: (laughs) Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I would say that, um, it's hard because Hubert, this is his first year, but I'll give him a lot of credit for what he's been able to do. You know, when a team is, uh, you know, is going through what, what that team went through with regard to the criticism uh, of him and the team itself, and the fact that they stayed the course, and, and now they're in the final four. And you know, the, the purposes of full disclosure, he was a friend of mine, so you know. I, but I, I would say that it's hard to, to compare him to, to self Shishovsky and Wright because uh, he's only been coaching for one year. If you're talking about the other three guys you know, it, it's really hard to say. They, they've all experienced success. All three of them are in the Naismith Hall of Fame. I guess the 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 one thing that I would say is that Jay Wright has done more with, mm. you know, less in, in my opinion, um, simply because, you know, Villanova doesn't always get the the blue chip guys. You know, he's, he's hung around the DMV, you know, D.C., Maryland, or Virginia and pulled a, a lot of terrific players out there who are good players, but they weren't, you know, highly, highly uh, known national players. Remember Mike Krzyzewski one year, uh, a couple of years ago, had three guys picked in the lottery. Uh, And unfortunately he couldn't get past the team that had only one draft NBA draft pick was in the second round. Um, So, you know, sometimes those names don't mean as much as, you know, development and cohesiveness. So, you know, from that standpoint, you got to give Jay Wright an awful lot of credit. Uh, simply because he's he's done more. Two championships in
0: three years for, for that stretch. He's done more with less. So who do you think wins this thing, Len, uh, out of these four teams? <laughs> you know, you, I'm the wrong guy to ask, man. I had Gonzaga win it all. <laughs>
1: I, I had Gonzaga beating well, Arizona, up, although updated. I did have Kansas in, uh, in, in the final four.
0: Updated predictions, you know? So are you going to go with Kansas?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure, I, you know, I sentimental, the sentimental pick would be, you know, Carolina simply because I think, honestly, if Carolina wins, that's a bigger story, in my opinion, than Duke and Krzyzewski. Honestly, yeah. I, I'd really believe that. Uh, see how far they've come from midseason with a first year coach. Um, you know, to me, that that's, that's a bigger story to how these guys pick themselves up and then and, and pushed forward. Um, you know, if Villanova is, is another good story, you know, a short bench and losing a quality uh, player, uh, maybe their second leading scorer, and then they're still finding a way, that's good. Um, you know, Duke is has got it all, you know, they've got everything in line. You know, the stars are aligned for them. Uh, and, and people, I'm sure, that's the natural pick. So, uh, you know, I, I, that, that wouldn't be a story, Uh you know, from a sentimental standpoint, you certainly would appreciate it. You know, it might on out, but uh, you know, when you're talking about an actual story, um, you know, what's big, um, I think that that would be the case. And you know, then, then Kansas is kind of right there in the middle. Nobody's paying attention to him. So that—that's my answer. I don't really know, uh, honestly. As like I said, my sentimental pick would be Carolina. How's that?
0: Sounds great. One piece of advice you would give yourself when you were starting to play basketball with all the information you know now?
1: Um, hey, with all the information that I know now, there's not an awful lot. Maybe, uh, I, I think my, my career was kind of derailed uh, because of a, a knee injury. And so, wow. you know, and, and back in the day, you didn't play, uh, you, you didn't train Uh, with weight training, et cetera, uh, as much as guys do today. And even then, some guys overdo it. That's why you see so many back problems, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I think I I would, if I had the advice of everything I knew today from a training standpoint, I would probably get more involved with uh, weight training. Um, Because I I came off a year where I averaged almost 15 and 11. That was my second year in the league. Um, You know, I probably could have shot it better, but uh, rebounding certainly certainly translated and then the next year was the year we were uh integrated into the nba and i tore up my knee in, in training camp and really didn't get to play that whole year i played six games with a huge brace on my knee and i found that i just couldn't get it done uh so i missed the rest of the year and after that you know you considered kind of damaged goods um, you know you get minutes but you're not starting and it wasn't until i got to the nets Uh, after a year with the Milwaukee Bucks. So I got to the Nets where I was forced to be a starter, played for Larry Brown, who I consider probably the the best pro coach that I ever had. Played with a young team, uh, two other Maryland guys, Albert King and Buck Williams uh, were my forwards, and uh, Ray Williams and and Clarence Foots Walker, you know, two guys that were kind of journeymen, were the point guard and, and the shooting guard. And we had a terrific bench with ACC guys like Michael Coran, Mike Cheminsky, and, you know, then Rutgers, James Bailey, uh, Darwin Cook, a guy that a lot of people don't know of who's a terrific defender. And together, you know, we started 2-13 and 13 until the young guys got their sea legs, but we ultimately wound up winning 40-something games and made the playoffs that year. Uh, and so, you know, that's another thing that, that I would tell myself, that, uh, you know, don't ever give up uh, on yourself, uh, you know, because – you're there for a reason. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I didn't give up and, and I had a satisfying career. Didn't get a ring, but, you know, 80% of the guys or more in the league never got a ring either. So to me, that's, that's not necessarily a defining uh, chapter in anybody's career.
0: Most definitely. Oh, uh, pay me a picture of what it was like playing for UB Brown. Um, you know, UB Brown, UB is a, obviously a knowledgeable guy.
1: Um, in my opinion, kind of set in his ways. Um, you know, I, I he was a, a, a kind of a disciplinarian, but you know, there were moments where he had to give in. Um, you know, playing for Hubie meant that uh, you know you were certainly knowing exactly what your playing time was because he was a big believer in playing two units: the first unit and the second unit. And you knew if you were on the second unit, you were going in with. Uh, like four minutes left in the first quarter, and you're gonna get time until about eight minutes
0: in, in the second quarter. I mean, that like yeah, that doesn't sound, That doesn't sound fun. It's hard to get in a rhythm like that, right? Yeah, oh, no question.
1: You know, I, I remember that was my last year. And you know, I remember offensively, you know, you get two or three shots during that period of time. You know, if you make one of three you're shooting 33%, you make two of three you're shooting sixty-six percent, and you know, that they're, they're kind of ways on your on your stats which shouldn't have been as important but nevertheless when you look back on the on on the career the second unit guys like myself and others we averaged 13 14 15 minutes and you know you wanted to stay ready but that that's who Hubie was fortunately we had a guy like bernard king who could you know kind of take over a game um and, and helped us get to the playoffs that year and do a pretty good job we wound up losing uh in the eastern conference uh finals or semifinals I forget to the Celtics Uh, but you know playing for Hubie had its moments of uh, enjoyable moments and other times it had some frustrating moments Um, sometimes frustrating moments took over uh, because you thought you deserved the time that you didn't get Uh, and ultimately that played a a huge role in my deciding that year uh, having you know taken the LSATs and you know, made my applications to to law school and made me decide that, hey, you know, maybe this next year is going to be a waste of time and it's time for me to go to law school. And the irony was that we were playing the Celtics and when I got my uh, letter of acceptance to Harvard, so I took a trip over there during an off day, walked around campus, walked through the library, you know, looked at uh, life in, in Harvard Square and I finally made a decision. This is the end of This may be the end of my career, so it's time to move on. And and even more irony was the following year, Bill Cartwright gets hurt. If I'm on that team, I'm probably the starting center instead of Ken Bannister. And, um, you know, who knows what that might have done for my career. But that's water under the bridge right now.
0: What kind of uh, injuries did you have? It's uh, a question that I have for you because I've been through three. So what was it with what was going on with your knee?
1: Um, Back in the day, I tore a medial collateral ligament um And you know back then the technology was so different. I've got a train track about that long uh, on my knee, as opposed to you know robotics and arthroscopy. Which well, they, a, mc M- now.
0: So that's an MCL you had? Yeah, I had an MCL. Well, that um, usually that usually heals on its own. They know now, right? If you rest it correctly. Uh, I'm not sure. Mine oh, okay. mine was severed. Ah, okay. Oh, mine okay. It wasn't uh, a sprain.
1: I got you. Okay, It was a pop, and they had to use this stuff called Prolin to tie it together again. Um, And, you know, my left knee I had hurt in college. uh, I tore the patellar tendon and broke the patellar. And, you know, it developed arthritis. Uh, and, And so, you know, how the hell those things come up. And then my first day in training camp with the Knicks, I had a partial hamstring tear that nagged me throughout that season. So, you know, I I had my share. And when I was with the Pacers, I tore ligaments in my right thumb. Um, So there are a lot of things that that kind of, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, really slowed my career and and kind of brought it to a point where the pain was more than I was willing to put up with. And uh, I had a good career. I had other things I wanted to do in life.
0: Yeah. When did those wheels start turning? Last thing before we get out here. When did those wheels start turning? uh, Maybe about life after basketball, or was that always something you were thinking about throughout your whole career?
1: Um, It was something I always thought about. You know, I wanted to be a lawyer way before I Uh I wanted to be and thought I could be a a professional basketball player. But after I hurt my knee the first time and I missed most of the season, I started thinking, you know, could this be the end? Um, And, you know, started kind of preparing a little bit, staying abreast of of studies, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, it was uh, when I got to that, got to the Knicks and halfway through the season when I realized that there were times when I should have been playing and I wasn't. um, And that was, you know, not within my power. And then I decided, Hey, you know, maybe there's something better. And I think every guy faces that uh, crossroads. Every guy that plays the game faces that crossroads some earlier than others. And of course uh, the difference is the amount of money guys are getting paid today. I I suspect that, you know, if I was getting paid anywhere near uh, what a guy with my numbers and the value that I had commensurate with, you know, what's going on today, if I was getting paid four, six, $8 million a year, I, you know, I would have thought twice they'd have to burn that Jersey off me. Maybe. I don't know,
0: <laughs> but, Len,
1: but that, that's the way it was.
0: Len, thank you so much for taking the time. You've had an outstanding career in so many fields, broadcasting, NBA, and as an attorney, um, I really appreciate you being here and taking the time for my podcast Oh, What's next for you, man? What are you up to?
1: Well, currently, I've I've been for the last four years. I've been a teacher at Columbia University in their sports management department. I'm a senior lecturer. I'm also the co-chair of the Knight Commission uh, for Intercollegiate Athletics. Uh, Obviously, reform-minded, trying to bring college basketball back to the education mission, you know, instead of having it drift into the area where it's considered another pro sport. Uh, because i see the value in it, and then you know some other things and television i'm pretty much done with that after 30 years of of doing the ncaa and even some nba back in the early years uh you know as you mentioned i just uh celebrated a birthday uh milestone birthday and you know it's time to me time for me to kind of slow down take all this institutional knowledge from the many things that i've done and you know kind of uh you know, give it away in some way, shape, or form because I can't take it with me.
0: Len, thank you so much. You're always be- welcome back on the show and talk soon. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode of Combos Court. Big shouts to Len for joining in. We appreciate you, Combo Nation. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. You could catch me on IG at one two combo That's o n e. T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. You can catch me on Twitter at Combos Court. Same name as the podcast. C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. Share this episode. Share it with a friend. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Instagram. And tag me. Appreciate you all. And be on the lookout for episode 353. Combo out.